0: All right, everyone, I'm about to tap out. It is almost time for a beer. Before we do that though, episode seven today of Masari's Unqualified Opinions. You are on fire, Ryan. That's that's an amazing (laughs) amount of output for one day. Uh, Yeah, it's been pretty good. Well, I've had good guests. And um, last, but certainly not least, uh, Jake Brookman uh, from CoinFund. going to talk about generalized mining and some of the uh, recent research that these guys have put out. Yeah, Although, to call it recent research is probably a little bit of a misnomer because I remember um, one of the uh, cool stories you told the first time that we met was, "Oh yeah, actually I predicted this a month before Ethereum launched, which is itself a fascinating paper that you guys published and, and was really kind of the genesis of the fund. So why don't we start there? Because... That, to me, seems like um, a pivotal point in CoinFund's trajectory, even though it wasn't CoinFund yet. It was was that thesis that kind of laid the groundwork for everything we've built today.
1: Yeah, I, I think, like, let's maybe, like, to rewind it, like, back to the original context. It's sort of like, do we live in a world of many networks, or do we live in a world of, like, one network? And the way that I've always navigated blockchain is that I was never a like a like a maximalist of networks mm-hmm. um, and that's because I always thought of different blockchains as being points on an innovation curve and so when a lot of people said you know Bitcoin is the only blockchain you need I was like nope there's going to be another one I can see them um, <laughs> and then <laughs> Ethereum came along right and then they kind of generalized into a platform and then everyone who was in Ethereum they were walking around with mojitos and I was like nope there's going to be another one <laughs> and like I think it keeps going. And so the whole point is that when you start to look at this world of different networks, mm-hmm. you start to realize that not only are they innovating on the base layer, on smart contracts, on consensus, they're also innovating on the vertical where they are. Mm-hmm. So before the only, the only chains that we knew were cryptocurrencies, and then we knew cryptocurrencies and asset oh. issuance platforms, you know, like Counterparty. And then Ethereum came along, generalized that, and suddenly we were writing smart contracts. And then we're writing smart contracts for ride sharing and file storage and social media. And you know the list just goes on endlessly. So what is generalized mining? It's sort of the observation that all of these networks or protocols, mm-hmm. they play crypto-economic games with its users. Like, Bitcoin offers miners Bitcoin to mine Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum also has miners. Uh, Livepeer has people who provide transcoding Mm nodes. Filecoin has people who provide storage. Steam has people who click up and down on articles to make sure that good content theoretically, you know, flows to the top. Very theoretically. Very theoretically, and it's a great experiment, but to be fair, Yep. Um, Steam is the only social media pla- pla- uh, platform on blockchain that has over 100, mil- uh, sorry, 1 million users. Yes. And so generalized mining, to me, is this idea that these networks provide crypto-economic mechanisms or games that third parties use to get rewards from the network in exchange for providing supply-side services. And then you get to us as an investor
0: well let's 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 okay. back up from there so okay. i think that's a good uh, synopsis of generalized mining and, yeah. and we're going to talk about what you guys came out a couple days ago with placeholder um right. but but for starters what was the name of that paper that you wrote um uh the, the paper on in 2015. on sorry like coin, coin funds first uh like seminal paper on like, its oh, so, basis well, so, like so there
1: was there was a yes i'm not
0: just misattributing mis- something Ryan, um, to you. Guys. Well, there,
1: there absolutely, <laughs> certainly was a CoinFund white paper. Mm-hmm. The CoinFund white paper was probably one of the earliest sort of theses, on, investment theses on the space. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I, I don't know if we're referring to the same thing, but but we definitely have been talking about kind of the development of networks for a long time and what we think will happen to users of those networks and to
0: investors of those networks as they need to work through those networks. Point being, you guys have thought about the interplay uh, of of how these these assets actually get built out beyond just kind of the speculative furor that we saw in in 2017. So, you know, 2017 is all about ICOs, right? How much money can flow in as quickly as possible to to all these new projects. Um, Most of them are gonna go to zero. Some of them are going to be interesting. Um, still might be really poor investments, but, but are going to be technically interesting. Um, and then I, I think you would probably agree that, that many of the most interesting projects going forward are going to have some active community that's participating in the security, which, which yes. gets to the generalized mining thesis. So, yes. so you've kind of coined that term, um, but really it is participation. Um, and, and some type of active resource so, expenditure yes. to, 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 to invest in so a given community the, or a given asset. I think there's been some, a little bit of confusion around like
1: generalized mining. I take full responsibility for that being a confusing term. I'm a, kind of like a nerdy technical guy, so I like these like nerdy We did we, terms. did we did write um, up a
0: full resource page on Masari. You did, by the so. way,
1: we use your Masari page on our grass-fed page as a Excellent. reference for like what generalized mining is because you guys have done Zach, a great tweet job that out. Yeah, um, just compiling all of the sources there. Um, but so there's generalized mining which to me is like what networks do and then there's like network active network participation which is what in- investors do mm-hmm. or should do or maybe might choose to do. And those two things are slightly different to me. For investors, generalized mining or or just actively participating in the networks that they invest in is a very natural, very crypto-native, very technological thing to do. And there are many good reasons why they might Want to do it? So one obvious reason is that it's an alternative source of returns for the fund. If you can lend assets and get a get a return rate, if you can stake assets get a return rate, if you can easily um, you know underwrite some digital land or something like that that you bought from some network um, and make money on that, this is a highly differentiating uh, re- just, you know return stream for a fund. And coin fund is often mistakenly referred to as a VC fund. We are not a VC fund. We're legally, um, well, we're, I, I see crypto funds in general as a hybrid of VC,
0: mm-hmm.
1: of liquid assets, and maybe of other things like, like this mining uh, activity. Um, but to me, it's like, why do we as a fund want to mine? Well, obviously it's a differentiating uh, kind of strategy. It gets us better returns in, let's say, down markets but it's also a way of ensuring that our portfolio companies are their probability of success goes up. So if we're investing in, you know, a network that requires liquidity bootstrapping in order to sort of get to market and we're a fund, we have capital to invest in something like that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a staking company, you have a very very different business model than that, right? Your business model is I want to provide a service to my customer and I'm gonna use my customer's assets to generate a return for them, on which I take a a commission, right? That is not the model of a fund who's generalized mining. In general, even though we are, we did, as you pointed out, we announced a partnership with Placeholder on a Decred staking pool, Mm -hmm. Um, and that is a staking operation which does, is kind of a delegation play, but in general, what we're interested in, I would say, is Crypto economic arbitrage—it's like the thing that makes stablecoins stable, you know, like liquidating maker CDPs. It's the thing that uh, makes social media uh, kind of float good content to the top, um, and all of these different kinds of games—they're super fun.
0: These markets are inefficient, so there's a lot of opportunities. It's a very technical. The, qu- the, the, the question is: Is there enough money there? To share, right. So, staking yeah. makes sense. Um, well. I think a lot of people have confused how staking works. That's a separate yes. point, right? If if, if um, I inflate the money supply by ten percent, and all the same participants get the same ten percent, they're not actually making any money. They're just they're just avoiding loss by participating. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the ecosystems that you guys are dabbling in, it's a little bit different because you know it's a minority of folks in the industry actually doing the work and, and putting money up. Yeah. So it's not just. Inflating by ten percent to right. keep your pro-rata well, stake, it, it is actually accruing additional value. So I want to
1: tell, I want to speak, I want to say a little bit about, about that, and then I want to say why uh, it's actually a really important strategy for a fund. So so on staking. Like think about you. So you make a great point. Some staking mechanisms just simply dilute supply. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's not like the best uh, kind of crypto economic um, you know mechanism to invest in. But even more importantly, like let's say you're staking on Tezos or Cosmos, you're trying to stake on Cosmos, you're making a token denominated return. Token denominated return does not equal fiat denominated return, which is what a fund cares about. And so necessarily when an investor goes into a staking situation and you're not market neutralizing your position, then what you're doing is you're investing in that network becoming big. And so, don't have a portfolio set up to handle the risks of doing that. And so, so basically, like you can mitigate that by, you know, let's say you're lending ether, you're you're earning ether interest. You could take a short position on your principal ether there, and just skim the interest and turn that into fiat, and that gives you a market neutral return. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about that in an article called about borrowing and staking. But here's to me like the most compelling reason why a fund might want to do this. Think about. Layer two. So, layer two is a bunch of um, loosely connected open source projects for the most part. They have very, very few equity opportunities. It's hard for those companies to come up with, like, how do we make money on our own network? They usually come up with the idea, like, we'll run hubs on our own network. Um, also, many of these projects don't have tokens, so even those VCs that in twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. So, so let's let's use
0: DeFi as an example, just yeah. to be specific. You know, we I, I talked to Nadav and Dharma right. earlier, right? You mentioned Compound. Um, I think you mentioned Compound. Compound is definitely a yeah. project we love so, at. So, also. so sure. Um, uh, so Maker, Compound, Dharma, you know, a few others that are, are built on top of Ethereum and yeah. using ETH as collateral, those yes. would be like the layer two solutions in this decentralized finance stack. Um, where where do you find the opportunity in those layer two? Well, so here's kind of my point. My
1: point is and that if you're, if you're a VC and you like equity, you're not going to find a lot of equity opportunities. Mm-hmm. If you're a VC who's even set up to invest in SAFs and tokens, you're not going to find a lot of token opportunities in layer two. And so the question is, how does, la- how does an investor capture value in layer two? And the answer is, you run a hub, and you actually become a provider of liquidity on the network, because mm-hmm. if you guys know how layer two hubs work, you have to put in ether collateral, and that creates kind of throughput in your hub, and you can route payments through that, right? And so you're literally becoming a provider. By doing so, you're adding no, a value. So,
0: so, but, uh, Sorry, again, I just want to step back. Just to just be clear, so when you say layer two, you're saying generally layer two. So it's so could, it could be state I'm saying, channels. I'm saying okay.
1: lightning networks, I'm mm-hmm. saying generalized state channel networks maybe even Plasma, mm-hmm. um, but, but in particular, I'm thinking about, just think so about not layer two
0: applications, but layer two infrastructure so, so this, on, on some of those primary chains.
1: This has profound implications for, for applications as well, because if you're taking all of the transactions from those applications and putting them on layer two, and you're taking them off chain, this might have profound implications for how these apps monetize, right? And so this is my point it's much easier to deploy 13 hubs on 20 different networks and try to capture the value that way than to go around waiting for equity opportunities, to go around waiting for the right token model in that space. And so if you're an investor who's like literally dogfooding the, the, the networks that you're trying to invest in and you're routing payments yourself, um, that's a fairly inexpensive way of getting exposure, whereas someone who's only you know, equity oriented has to wait, and then has to decide, like, oh, I'm going to invest in the equity of the apps that are built on this layer, but I don't even know if this is one of the 20
0: that will win. What's interesting to me is you guys can play that arbitrage game. Yeah. Um, Talk a little bit about the partnership with Placeholder, because they're structured as a 10-year fund. Sure. Right? So you guys have made this conscious decision, we are not a venture fund. They've gone the other direction, and yet you've collaborated on this Decred staking pool. Yeah, um, why combined forces? Like, so, so, how, how does the inner interworking
1: so we so a placeholder and CoinFund have been friends for for a, a long time. We're all friends um. in New York. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, right as Joel published like Fat Protocols mm-hmm. was probably around the time that, uh, that that we met for the first time, and then I saw kind of him and Chris and everybody else form, form that fund. We know that Placeholder is a very um, is a very involved investor in the Decred network. They really like the governance system. They like the hybrid proof of work proof of stake system. We haven't um, at CoinFund spend as much time as they have with pure volatile currencies. That's more like with their thesis and so our partnership is around kind of us providing um, the staking pool sort of initially for them mm-hmm. uh, because they they are essentially customers in need of that service and them delegating to us as a way of making that kind of financially viable mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a construction and also um, putting our brands together a little bit and seeing like, hey, can we uh, get a little bit of credibility in this network and maybe attract some other delegations. Now, now from our point of view, like, we we might not be, like, CoinFund might not uh, have a lot of investments in pure currencies, Mm -hmm. but one of the reasons is that we think that's very risky, you know, to say, oh, like, one particular currency, especially one that's not Bitcoin, is going to be the global unit of account. However, once you start earning Decred as a service provider, right, then your kind of cost basis for decred starts to go down and your risk reward becomes like very favorable. And at some point it's like, well, why why wouldn't we want to make this bet? This seems to be a really good risk reward. Mm-hmm. that's sort of the reasoning for for having this uh, grass-fed structure is that effectively our fund can get like can like lower its cost basis on various assets
0: using technology. Um, you, you mentioned you know, Decred is obviously the, the most recent one. How many different tokens are you guys looking at right now uh, for generalized mining? Walk through the diligence process for what makes that interesting. Because yeah. I mentioned, you know, remember you guys want to make fiat yes. returns, not just token returns. And I, I mentioned the, you know, the, the dilution uh, mirage uh, that, that some of these staked currencies have where you're not actually making any money. In fiat terms, you're just preventing dilution. Um, How do you approach a network uh, that you think could be interesting and then how do you guys ultimately take advantage? Because it seems like uh, the absolute dollars that you could return that way are still pretty small. You'd have to believe that some of these sub-markets continue to explode. So in I, I would say that highly.
1: it's 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 highly dependent on which strategy you're talking about. If you guys go and check out grassfed.network and you go click on the strategies page, we have sort of five case studies that we've done in mm-hmm. 2018 and this year. Um, and only a few of them are staking it. So we're, we're going to have a full-on decred, We're going to be staking new cipher when they come out in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But the other strategies are not even... Uh, They're not staking strategies, they're sort of like, you know, Livepeer was a software mining strategy. So this is something where you put in Ether, you burned Ether, you did some computational work and you got Livepeer token back. Mm -hmm. In other other words, it's a way for us to acquire LPT tokens um, and sort of a lower technological
0: cost basis, Mm -hmm. right? Then we have lending, so we're looking at compound um, and so with with LivePeer, what, what type of arbitrage? Let's talk percentage terms, like you know actual dollars, right? Yeah. So you you put a um, hundred dollars worth of resources into LivePeer to secure the network, and, and all of a sudden you're doing some of the transcoding work. Um, what what type of return were you able to yes. make on that? So so
1: there's a couple there's a couple of different um, there's a couple of different strategies actually just in LivePeer itself. Let me talk about mining. Mm-hmm. So mining. Is um, it, it, so so. Why did why did Lifepeer have a Merkle miner? They basically wanted to do a decentralized airdrop of sixty three percent of its token supply. Mm-hmm. They said, "Hey, can we incentivize all these third parties to do a little computational work, do some proof of work, and then drop uh, some LPT into eligible Ethereum addresses, and it will give the miners a little bit of a reward, right?" So, what's the net effect for a fund doing that? Well, you. Kind of optimize how you do that, how you do the mining, and you end up lowering your cost basis. So I can tell you that you know in, in the mine, and this is li- really public information. If you look at the at the Ethereum mining transactions, people have gotten Livepeer tokens as low as you know thirty-five cents, fifty cents. I think over the course of the mine, our average uh, price was something like eighty cents. I don't remember. I know Versus where is it trading? Versus a few dollars that you know initial seed investors paid or uh, maybe people who are being diluted end up having right but the point of this system is if you're an active participant in the network if you're helping the network you're gonna get the asset at a lower price and, right, and, and in power. that case
0: it's no different than mining Bitcoin right you know it's yeah. if you have the equipment and, and yeah. you know and and, and, the, and so the, the network will self-correct so that it becomes more expensive to mine but um, even still there's going to be opportunities you think in some of these other um application-specific chains or layer two um, uh, hubs that doesn't really exist in Bitcoin anymore because it's way too competitive, right? So you guys as an active investor taking the strategy can do the work, sure. secure these new oh, networks, and, and, that's a, that, and it's, it's so, a juicy margin still. So, so just to quickly address
1: and, and directly answer your last question, today Livepeer trades on, on about $5, right? So anyone who mined it at 50 cents and is now trading at $5, they made a 10x. It's a very compelling return, right? Um, in terms of kind of barriers to entry and
0: Bitcoin, Well, it's a compelling mind. return, but if you only mine 50, 50 cents at a time, you know, and you right. make, make right. $4.50 four nominally, then it's like, yeah. Well, but, but, but the beauty. So, so, that, that, so that was my question about just like what, what is the size um, of this opportunity, do you think, in, in the ecosystems that don't use proof of work? Yes. Because that's really the question. Like, proof of work. Pretty clear. It's going to be in, institutional mining, ASICs, or kind of you know mass GPU production is going to win the yes. day. But but where funds, I think, have an opportunity, um, and this is the generalized mining thesis is non-proof of work. Yes. Where where can you actually so
1: I've I, in my talk in Denver, I'm going to cover this a little bit, and I've covered this in in uh, you know at DevCon and before. But essentially, the way that I break up these opportunities is like, well, what's the hardware onus? What's the proprietary software onus? You know, when you're running a Bitcoin data mining center, you mainly care about having hundreds of millions of dollars of hardware. Maybe you write a little bit of software to manage that, or maybe you use somebody else's vendor software to manage that. But ultimately, you're focused on hardware. It's like, how much hardware do you have? That's what I compete on. Mm -hmm. If you're in the software side of this, meaning crypto-economic games, like beating FOMO 3D, you know, software mining live peer, um, you know, maybe maybe curation of TCRs, right? <laughs> I, I, you're winking at me, I'm winking at you, um, right? And then, like, there you need your defensibility is, like, can, am I smarter? Can I write better software? I don't need a lot of hardware to deploy this stuff. You can deploy it on AWS. And then staking is stuff in the middle. It's stuff where, you know, you probably need a little bit more secure hardware, it's probably located all over the world for security, you know, so it costs a little bit more, but nowhere near what it costs to do a hundred million dollar data center for Bitcoin mining. And you probably are writing a little bit of proprietary software to manage and secure your setup, right? And um, I think, like, that space of staking gets highly commoditized. I think the the hardware mining space is already highly commoditized with all our. companies that are producing ASICs and whatnot. And this and the space of things that are proprietary software, like like really quant trading in crypto, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not as easy to commoditize
0: because it requires sort of proprietary thinking. Of course. Um, what what KPIs do you look at to measure this? So you know as you know, um, we added staking rewards um, Data to Massari just a yes. chain effect a couple weeks ago. That's great. So we're, we're looking at, at more things to add, of course. Um, the market tends to be very meme, meme-driven and narrative-driven, yes. and, and I don't think that's going away. Um, fundamentals, ultimately, will come into play. I think this is an early area that they will. What KPIs do you look at, um, on the one hand, when yes. you're thinking about what could be a, a candidate next yes. for, for generalized mining, um, where you guys might have an advantage outside of the ones you mentioned in the case study. Uh, and then outside of that, what do you think the strongest meme is in crypto <laughs> in terms of a narrative that absent fundamentals is still gonna keep uh, you know, teams afloat during this market? That's a good question. Let me answer the second
1: one first. I think Biddle is a great meme. Um, it's all over this place. You see that word, kind of hashtag Biddle, posts that are all over the place. And to me, it speaks to the fact that, you know, there's some people who only care about trading and price and exchanges and all of that stuff. And when there's a downturn in the market, they get bored, they cash out, they leave, they, they stop paying attention. But the people who are actually like in the space, who are like really driven not by money, but by the long term vision, that's those are the times when they can sit down, code, get their products to market, um, These are times when, if you're launching a crypto fund, it's much better to launch it at the bottom of the market than at the top of the market. If you launch a fund at the top of the market, you might never make that carry, right? I would, Um, I would,
0: I actually think that Chris put it best, uh, going back to placeholder, Um, he, you know, raised money during the bull market to play during the bird. So not, I I wouldn't want to be starting a fund right now.
1: so <laughs> if you, what I mean is when, I, yeah. when you start a fund, you deploy your fund too, right? So if you've deployed your fund on the most exuberant... Well, for hedge pie, funds as, as you guys. Yes, mean, absolutely. Of course, of course. Okay, and then to so so go to KPIs. So to go back to KPIs, I think lending and borrowing rates in crypto are going to be extremely important indicators of things. I'll tell you why. So lending and borrowing are indicators of sort of people's interest and demand for a certain asset. It might be demand for leverage because people are bullish on it. It might be demand for short selling it because people might be bearish on it. So right away, lending uh, or borrowing rates are sort of a a precursor or a signal for how people are uh, sentimentally feeling about that asset. Um, If your asset also belongs to a staking network, remember you have this staking return and then you have this like borrow uh, rate or, or lending return, right? And those two things should arbitrage together. The, the the lending rate should become like just under the staking rate. And if your re- lending rate goes above, your your network might be in trouble. That's an indicator that uh, people might be um, you know shorting your asset, taking it out of the staking mechanism and shorting it and selling it, mm-hmm. right? So you want that indicator. So I think lending borrowing rates, like what you see on Compound, what you see on Dharma. What you'll see on many different such protocols in the future um, are very important indicators of the health of assets. Um, if they're also staking assets, th- there's an important relationship there. Staking rates are great. Um, I think we're, we'll see more and more of that. Why is that happening? Well, because the you know over the last two years we have, for better or for worse, rejected certain token models. We've rejected utility tokens because we think they go to zero because of velocity. I still don't fully buy that, but. You know, but we can. We can There's, shades yeah. There's shades of gray. There's shades of gray, but what's what's unequivocal is that people don't build utility token models anymore, whether or not they work, right? Pe- what are people focused on these days? They're focused on governance tokens, and they're focused on work tokens because these models have strong, uh, or at least a case for a strong valuation. Uh, criteria, right? So governance, Phil Bonello's post about, you know, forking the network if it goes against your business, right? Is that cheaper or is um, buying up a bunch of the token and sort of governing it your way, is that cheaper? That creates a quantitative way that you can value a governance token. Um, And finally, uh, on work tokens, we're actually seeing a ton of these models. You know, if you look at the graph works on work tokens, live peer works on work tokens. Um, And we're actually doing a lot of work right now to see, you know, how do we make that relationship very precise? Like, if someone wants to serve as a transcoder on livepeer an extra, you know, the marginal um, transcoding video stream, then how does that translate into demand for tokens? You want that relationship to be very precise. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally, you know, TCR tokens, which is what you guys are, are sort of thinking about, right? Um, that's more of a governance mechanism, if you, you know, on a on a list of uh, of startups in your case, right? So, what is the value of that? How do we evaluate that?
0: Yeah, I would say, um, well, there's a lot more to talk about on TCRs, of course, and, yeah. and, and you know, we that could be an entire separate episode. But um, I uh, I I am very excited to see how this plays out with you guys. Uh, I think having more active participation from hedge fund investors uh, is going to prove who actually knows what they're doing <laughs> versus who is just a, 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 a bull market genius out of some of the early crypto fund managers. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Yeniv at The Graph. I will be back here tomorrow at 12.15 Mountain Time. And guess who I'm speaking with? Yeniv. Yeniv there you go. The Graph. It will be fun. Um, one of the most uh, uh, exciting new projects that has yet to release its token, but, um, but they're doing... Amazing work in, in helping teams query uh, some of these protocols, and I'm are going to be a very valuable service and potentially investment for you guys. Um, Jake, I know that you're up 10x now on Live Peer token, so <laughs> I'm going to have Jake buy me a beer or two, and uh, we're going to take off here and, and get into the nighttime activities at Eat Denver, which I'm not going to live stream. Okay, awesome. Jake, thanks. Thanks, Ryan, for, for, for having me. by, man. Thank you, guys. See you tomorrow.